only cure for our basketball Jones. Hail Varsity's Jacob Padilla on the Connor Happer Show on 1620 The Zone. Creighton's Baylor Shireman named to Naismith Trophy mid-season team. He is one of 30 players named to the 2024 Jersey Mike's Naismith Trophy Men's Player of the Year mid-season team. Uh, one of the top players in the country. He's been uh, he's been Creighton's you know basically representative on these big time awards lists. Although you could arguably choose any one of the big three uh, for Creighton. We'll talk more about the Jays here with Jacob Adilla of Her Dat Sports joins us now on the forty two degrees source hotline. Jacob, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I think the uh, I, I prefer the Wooden Award as kind of the preeminent Me too. college basketball award because. I vote for that one. Me too. Hey, look at you. Look at us. I love voting for things. I love I love being given a vote for that. Shout out Mike Babcock. Yeah, hey, that's where I got my vote too. <laughs> He's the best. Um, so I think Baylor is the appropriate representative. Not a, I I think he'll have the best looking kind of stats on here. But I I do appreciate the sort of retrospective look at, you know, those three and Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, and Baylor Shireman the other night by Mac as they sort of had, you know, a, an easy win. And then you got the chance to kind of, you know, look around and, and take stock of where you're at right now. Um, but somehow I think Baylor's importance, I, I don't know what the right word would be, Jacob, is is still underrated. And I'm I'm not sure how, because according to basically everyone, he's one of the best players in the country. Yeah, it's really impressive what he's done. Uh, I mean, it, it'll be fascinating to have the conversations at the end of the year in terms of conference awards and how these guys shake out. Um, but from start to finish, I, I, Baylor's been the most steady um, contributor on, on the team. And obviously we know how important Ryan Kalkbrenner is and what Trey Alexander is able to do uh, when he's got it going. And he's obviously made a surge in conference play to kind of catch up to, to Baylor in terms of all-around impact uh, and from a statistical standpoint. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at Baylor's season as a whole and just all the all the, the ways he impacts the game, the improvements he's made in all facets um, to the point where um, defensively they're yeah. putting him on some tougher matchups in addition to everything he's doing offensively. He's, he's initiating far more than he did last year. He's finding ways to score inside the arc. Uh, even when the threes aren't falling, um, I mean he's dunking on people like he uh, with his offhand. Been a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, then with people slapping him in the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was rough. <laughs> Although, uh, but the one dunk he did miss was with his left hand. So maybe he needs to just stick with the the right hand dunking. The, I guess the rest so. Of the way. He, when uh, when he got here, Jacob, I thought like and, and and then you obviously you know put him in with last year's group, and it was. I don't, I'll be interested to see what the role is. And then he kind of ended up being, as is oversimplification of what he brought to the, to the table last year. But like, he, he kind of ended up being like microwave guy. He would, he would heat up for stretches and then it kind of, he got to the point where the fan base was kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's shooting kind of bad shots at times. And I was like, all right, hold on, take the good with the bad. But his, his consistency, even though he, I mean, he doesn't have great shooting nights every night. 
his consistency, the playmaking he does, and you know he brings a lot in the rebounding category, and then obviously in the in the in the playmaking assists and all that stuff category. I I did not see this coming from him. I would not have seen this coming from him almost, you know, two years ago when he got to Creighton. This has been a heck of a development project. Yeah, I mean, I think last year was the, the big feeling out process. Obviously coming in and uh, trying to, to fit in with the guys that were already here uh, and have played such big roles previously. Um, and making the leap from the Summit League to the Big East, like that's a the massive step up there uh, in terms of the competition you're going to face. And so you can see him playing a, a bit hesitant at times, trying not to do too much, trying yep. to fit in. And Max even talked about that from a leadership standpoint. Like this year, he's so much more vocal than he was in the past because he didn't want to step on toes. And he was trying to figure out, all right, where do I belong on this team? And you can see as the season goes on that he kind of settled in. He started to get a little bit more confident, a little bit more assertive. Um, but this year, it's. Uh, just in all facets, it's, it's, it's a step forward. And um, I, I think Mac mentioned it like he, he came back because he knew this was possible. He believed he could do this. Uh, he knew there was still uh, um, more out there for him to accomplish. And you can see this year just the way he's playing. He's just he's maximizing everything that uh, he's capable of. Uh, it's just the way he attacks the basket. I mean, last, how many times did. Uh, he gets chased off the line and put on the deck and jump stop in the lane and end up just looking to, to kick it out or mm-hmm. whatever. Like he's, he's putting his head down and he's going, he doesn't care anymore about, Oh, what if I get blocked or, um, I, I probably can't get all the way. So I'll just try to keep the ball moving or whatever. Um, now he's, he's aggressive. Now he understands, um, how to get the most out of what's available to him from a physical standpoint and from a skill set standpoint. Uh, and then the leadership if you, uh, on top of that. If yeah. you go back um, from a – sorry to cut you off there, Jacob. If you go back no, from a, a team perspective here, following that UConn loss where it looked super disjointed, that's going back to that triple overtime game at, at Seton Hall. They won three in a row, Seton Hall, Xavier, DePaul. Then they lost the two against Butler where they you know didn't miss a shot, and then Providence on the road in overtime. Had a great win on the road at Xavier, and then you know beat Georgetown as well as they were supposed to beat them the other night. And you go into the final six, I, like I, I don't. Maybe it's the two losses that were thrown in there that sort of throw people off a little bit. But they they're playing really well right now. Like and and Ed Cooley mentioned it. Ed Cooley mentioned many things the other night. But Ed Cooley was like, man, I, I just I just thought Creighton played really really well. And you know, Sean Miller talked about it. Um, at Xavier, like, hey, they are they are one of the toughest teams to defend and beat in the country with all the options that they have and and what they do and what they scheme up. I, is have we seen for the last you know low key for the last three or four weeks here Creighton play close to you know their ceiling? Is is this where you thought that they could get to? Yeah, I think that the Butler loss probably altered the perception. Dropping that one at home. Um, really hurts because um, obviously this year protecting home court is the whole thing in college basketball considering nobody can seemingly win on the, the road. So when you drop that one, like the, the Providence loss, I, I don't think would have bothered anybody if, uh, if it wasn't coming off another loss at home. Yeah. To where it's back-to-back now. You've uh, uh, it kind of felt like you're a little bit of a skid here or whatever. It's that butler in. Again, going back through it, like that's I think that's more more of a just outlier game than anything else and uh, pointed to 
any kind of flaws in the team that will kill them down the stretch of the season. So, yeah, I mean, you look at it as a whole, um, they are putting, I mean, the offense is starting to settle in. They're finding ways to, to use everybody to take advantage of everybody's skill set. That guys are starting to get a little bit more consistent. Um, and it's, I mean, you've seen their, their offense has climbed back up to 17th in Kempa. I think it dropped all the way down to 39 after that UConn game. Um, so they've steadily uh, been climbing since then. And it's 30 on defense right now. So getting back close to that 25-25 club that the national championship typically comes from. So yeah, the Butler loss hurts in there. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> on the defense. But, and the, the thing is, though, that like you – I mean, you were talking about the tough stretch ahead. All their six opponents left. Four of them were a one possession game the first time they played, uh, and two of them are against the, the two best teams in the conference. Yep, and they're both at home yeah. against you know, and yeah. you already took the loss on the road. Yep, and three overtime games in that mix as well, uh, or or a couple overtime games, and one of them was three overtime. So yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> It's a tough stretch, but if Creighton is the team that we think they're capable of being, like these are all teams outside of UConn and Villanova that Creighton should beat. Um, I mean, they're not favored to, to win every game, like because road, road games are hard. Um, like Kempom has Creighton losing to St. John's and Villanova, but they're both basically coin flip games. So those are games that you you, you need to see them go in and win if uh, they are the team that we think they are, and if they kind of stabilize and figure some things out. Yeah, like uh, if, if you did a if you did a Pythagorean in baseball, they have the Pythagorean, you know, what you should be based on what you what you ended up being, and that's all based on run scored and, and it's very like simple stuff. But I I think about like they're eighteen and seven right now. There's a very real world where they could be twenty and five, or you know, potentially even better than that. I mean, it, and I don't. If if you put a number eight by them right now, if you were like, yeah, this is the eighth or tenth best team in the country, I'd be like, yeah, I I, I think that's still the case, which is amazing because you listen to you listen to like the fan base or whatever, and and, and there's always consternation there. I you wouldn't you wouldn't sense that confidence right now, not from the team, but from how people sort of look at them, and even from a national perspective as well. I think. I think they're every bit as good as they were supposed to be. If if not, you know, they're different than what they were supposed to be. But that's how it ends up for everybody. But I would have no problem saying that they're one of the best ten teams in the country right now. Yeah, they're starting to look a little bit more like we thought they could. Yeah, uh, but now they have to go out and prove it like, again. Like if they're the team, if they are that team, then they got to go better than three and three in the stretch, which is which what Kempom kind of projects here as their final record. Um, I mean, they go three and three, they're, they're fine, but they're certainly not improving their seed. Like they'll be in the tournament, but that's not kind of what you want. You need, at the very least, you need to go four and two and only take the, the losses to UConn and, Villano- and um, Marquette at the very least. Like, um, but you get one of those wins. Like you knock off Marquette, you go five and one. Now you're talking about a good seed because you've got another resume win to, to go on that list. You've got the um, you got the 23 wins there, and then whatever happens in the, in the Big East tournament, uh, and now you're looking pretty good. Um, so, and that's kind of again, we, Creighton's lost so many of these close games in conference. 
Um, that's I think that's the other thing that's kind of holding them back. And I mean, after the back-to-back losses, there were some people like some some think pieces on Creighton, and oh, they're not as like there there are more problems here than than you may think. Like look at the record against teams that aren't DePaul and Georgetown and all that. And it, it was true. Like <laughs> DeMarinus and I on the pod kind of had a uh, kind of had a back and forth conversation about this too in terms of what Creighton is like he he was kind of more coming out from what he believed they're capable of and I was like yeah but they also they have to do it to kind of back that up that's fair right now their their record says they aren't like because we were talking about tiers in the Big East and Matt was putting them in the top tier with UConn and Marquette and then making the second tier just the big middle uh and I said like I, I think they're capable of being that but their resume to this point puts them in that middle with the other teams because they were kind of uh, basically won as many as they lost against those teams. Um, so now, th- now is the, the time when you can separate yourself uh, from that group and um, really kind of jump back up into that top tier from a record standpoint to go with what we think they're capable of. Well, uh, you're right. You said it. Um, win against UConn changes, you know, the the entire perception, right? Because then all of a sudden you're on everybody's everybody's radar here down the stretch. And, I've, you know, I I don't have high expectations for, for what's going to happen at Hinkle this weekend considering Creighton's uh, checkered history in that building and what, I, like, I don't know, something odd's going to happen. But whether or not they win that game, um, you know, if they, if they beat UConn, that changes your outlook and, and your perception of what people think you are. A hundred percent. Because, again, right now, uh, their, their best win is what, Alabama, who – I mean, that ended up playing out the way that Max said it would in terms of um, they've gotten onto a nice run here in conference play and started to, to add the wins to, to their metrics. Um, so that's a really good win. But then you get past that, and it's a lot of bubble teams. So getting another one of those surefire uh, high-seed teams uh, as a win under your belt would be huge for the resume and for um, kind of where they're going to land in the seating there because, uh, again, the, the resume is a little light. It at, is. At this point, in yeah. terms of those quality wins. Like, they're, they're, they're a solid tournament team. They're going to win enough games. Um, but, to, to I mean, we, we've seen they don't necessarily need uh, a super high seed to make a good run. Uh, it's just about playing your best basketball at the right time, which is what they did last year. But it certainly helps yeah. if you can pull that off and uh, would be less stressful if they, they just kind of win these games and feel good about where you're at going into uh, Selection Sunday as opposed to kind of, well, where are we going to fall here? I want to ask you about um, you know a couple of the things that they've done over the last you know few games here personnel-wise, obviously um, with with Fred King kind of taking a backseat even though he came in in mop-up time at the end of Georgetown. But we've they, they've tried a couple different things. Um, at the five with Jason Green um, getting mixed into the lineup, and then um, um, Isaac Trout as well. The Jason Green one seems to seems to kind of be sticking. Mac, you know, talked about how he's just now kind of he's he's just really getting there because he missed a really important stretch of practices three weeks before the season started, and then the first three weeks of the season where he could have played a little bit. I think Jason Green has some like. He has some glue guy vibes to me where he kind of does the dirty work in there and grabs a couple offensive rebounds and and has the ability to to score, you know, especially with everybody else around him, you know, trying to make plays. This has been a, a pretty positive development for them 
when they were just trying to find minutes, you know, outside of Kalkbrenner, um, where they could they could make a living in that period of time. Yeah, it's kind of been an interesting season for Jason. Obviously, I mean, heading into the year, the four spot was that one wild card, and you saw uh, they got three guys here to figure out who's going to play um, the rotation minutes, and then Jason gets hurt and kind of resolved itself there. And by the way, Jacob, with, with, I think Jason yeah, was probably closer in that conversation than people want to admit, and then he got hurt. Yeah, I see. My problem with that is it was it was always going to be tough to figure. I thought we. If everybody's healthy, I thought it might be more of a we could see all three of these guys and kind yes. of a matchup face. A all right, the way the game's going, let's give Jason a try here because he's a different look than the other two. Um, so that that's kind of I was like it would be kind of an interesting to have that option. Uh, and then obviously the injury took that out. And then um, he, he got a, a minute here or there, like they 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 did do that a little bit early in the season. It's like sixty second spurts or whatever where End he got half. in. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, late in the first half, just for a little spurt or whatever. Um, but it nothing really happened with that, and it kind of went away. And then they briefly tried him as obviously with Fred King's struggles continuing. They tried him as the backup five in the St. John's game. I think it was. You um, practiced in that spot. Um, had kind of moved ahead of Fred uh, that that we can practice. And then I think they kind of went at him inside right away and scored on him if I remember correctly. And we didn't really see that again. Um, went back to, to Fred for moving forward. And then um, this recent stretch, like after that Butler game, they um, moved Isaac Trout to the five. And that's kind of where he's been uh, spending a lot of his practice. And that opened the door for Jason to get in the, the rotation. And he's made the most of it. I mean, that's what he said. Like, no matter, I, I have no idea how long I'm going to play. Could be 60 seconds. Could be seven minutes like we saw on uh in that last game so it it all depends on kind of what he's able to do with it and mac saw the impact that he was making and he, he let him ride i mean again he played seven straight minutes and creighton outscored um georgia by five uh, by, by nine in that stretch um like that that bench group is really what created the separation in that game and he was a big part of it they had a, went on a 13-0 run with him on the court um so that's he does bring a different uh, look with his ability on the offensive glass, particularly. It was something he was really good in high school. Um, just from that weak side, track, flying in there, tracking down that ball, avoiding box outs. Um, that's exactly what we've seen in these last three games with him in there. Uh, he's got uh, with three offensive rebounds. He's drawn a couple of fouls. He's got a couple buckets the, the, uh, in this last game, got to the free throw line. Um, so it, it is interesting, and I think Isaac Isaac at the five hasn't really clicked in terms of any kind of production just he, yet. He's got to shoot in order for it to I, work. Yeah, but also I think um, I think there's upside there. Like we at this point with King, I think we've kind of seen it is what it is. Like he just hasn't been able to find a way to to get to where they need him to. So Isaac is very new to this, but you can see him trying to get into the, the right positions defense where he's working hard. He kind of understands what he needs to do, but he's maybe just a half step late out of position leading to some of these fouls. But I think with more experience, maybe the next time he gets all the way over there and forces a miss with verticality. I mean, we, see, we saw him do that once in the pick and roll um, a couple of games ago where um, he kind of showed and then 
recovered to his man and forced a miss at the basket over the top. So um, a couple others led to some in ones or given some fouls or whatever. But you can see that he's working hard to get into that spot. And when they run plays for him, he, he's getting open. He's just got to get to go down. So I think at this point, unless there's some really bad matchups where you just don't think um, like he'll be able to hold up, like even Providence, um, they they only put him in when Oduro was off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, got a under court break, so he didn't have to go up and face a guy like that. So I think they're going to be continue to be kind of strategic with it and try to put him in the best uh, position to succeed and kind of add reps and kind of learn. And you hope by by the end of the season he'll be able to um, kind of make a little bit more of an impact there. And honestly, you don't even need like if he can go out there and play three and a half minutes without losing points. Uh, that was the that's what happened the first time that he got out there. That five, that first that uh, Providence game. Went out there, I think, played three and a half minutes, and Creighton was plus two in those minutes. He didn't score. He didn't record a stat, but the other team wasn't able to make a run. And that's really all you need out of the bench guys right now is yep. when one or more of the key guys sits down, don't lose the game. Survive. Don't let the other team get on a big run. Yeah, just tread water. Like If you do that, like the old, those other guys are good enough to win you the game if the bench can tread water. Um, and that's what we've seen a little bit more of recently. Uh, one more quick one before we let you go. Well, uh, it doesn't have to be quick. How have we gotten to the sweet spot that we're in right now with Creighton's backcourt of Trey Alexander and, and Stephen Ashworth? It feels like they're both they're they're both playing well right now, but they're I mean Trey's playing really well, and but also they're both they both seem really comfortable right now. I I, I think some of it is probably just you know, getting comfortable with each other through all these games. But we have seemed to arrive at a really, really nice sweet spot with those guys. Yeah, I think, obviously, Steven's throwing hit shots. That's huge for the overall offense uh, and, and for his confidence. But it, I think it really, a lot of it has come down to Ashworth settling in and figuring out, all right, how do I make plays? What do I need to do? Because And... I think that's had a huge impact on Trey because he just had so much on his shoulders early in the season Mm -hmm. because he was really the only one outside of Baylor to a certain extent that was able to handle the ball against pressure and try to get them into their looks and initiate offense, go create something when, when the play break broke down. Um, He was really the only one doing that. And it happened too often um, because like they spent a lot of time trying to get into their sets. I mean, there was a lot early in the season where Ashworth's kind of dribbling in place and not really going anywhere and uh, they were killing clock and, or he dribbled their spot and pick up the ball and then uh, just have to, to get rid of it. Um, that's not really happening anymore. Ashworth's keeping the bounce alive. He's getting to his spots. He's getting the ball where it needs to go within the offense. And that's taken a, a lot off Trey's shoulders, which has allowed him to kind of focus more in and be more uh, effective in what he does really well. Um, so I think they've kind of settled into that, kind of two combo guard role with, I mean, Ashworth handling a lot of, like, Trey will initiate if the, the outlet pass comes his way. He'll push it up and he'll get into it, but um, I think Stevens handling it a lot, kind of when, when they're calling sets and getting guys in spots, um, and that's allowed Trey to kind of be more of the, the, the finisher as opposed to the guy having to, to do everything. And so we're, I think we're seeing now kind of that backcourt look a lot more like what the coaches envisioned when they went out and recruited Steven uh, when they knew they needed a point guard. No doubt about it. Jacob Adil of Herdette Sports. Uh, Jacob, 
Thanks for the breakdown, as always, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. Jacob Padilla. Trey Alexander, I mean, he's not going to make six threes every game, but if if he can be a real consistent threat there, there were some teams that were just starting to go under on him. But on, on screens, it's like, yeah, you know what? We're okay with living with that. You know, because what we don't want to do is let Trey get to his 90% spot, which is, you know, 10 feet away from the basket and, and pull a fadeaway crazy shot, but it goes in all the time. Now you still have to think about that. And if you have to guard the three, it's just going to make everything easier for everybody else. It's going to make everything, not only can Trey have the ability to make shots, but it's going to make everything easier for Ashworth. Ashworth's knocking threes down at a great rate. Gives more space to Baylor. You you saw in the Xavier game, and some of that is matchup, but in, in the Xavier game, they were really getting Ashworth going, throwing lobs up to Kalkbrenner. You know, and that's been, it really is starting to look pretty much exactly how we, like just like Jacob just said, like we envisioned it. That's a wrinkle I've enjoyed seeing as yes. of late. And it, like, I, that's the flash of last year. And every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Why don't yeah. why don't they do that more? And as much as I've said, like, we, we kind of are romanticizing last year's team because of where they finished, um, that is that is a thing that last year's team had. If you're looking for, oh, we want it to be up to this standard, if not more. They have... The, the only thing that this team doesn't have that last year did, and there's there, this team's better in some areas now, um, is is just a little bit a little bit more depth and options, um, you know, coming coming through off the bench. But if Jason Green's coming along and you still get good minutes from from Farabello, like I, I I just think they're in a really sweet spot right now. Like I said, if if they don't have those two losses against Butler and Providence, which they very easily could have won both of those games. We're talking about them having won seven games in a row. They're a, probably a top ten team in the country. They're twenty and five going into their most important stretch of the season, which starts on Saturday. That's not that far fetched to think about, and I think they they look an awful lot like that, even though they don't have the record to show it. But like Jacob said, now you got to go do it. And like I said earlier this week, I think they're going to beat UConn. Okay, so you haven't backed off of that. Mm-mm. Not a not a bit. It's in the, and nothing in that the happens on Saturday, barring an injury, will make me back off of it. Okay. I think I think Creighton's going to win on Tuesday. Hey, hell in a cell. Yeah. Um, get those big home crowds back going and and all that stuff. So yeah, tough final six here. No more easy games, but I think they're as prepared for it as they possibly could be. The stripe out. That's right. The stripe out. Look at your sections and see yeah. where you're sitting and see if you want to wear uh, white or blue to that game. Just be loud. Whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever color you know, your shirt just, is. Just just be loud. Make it so Danny Hurley, you can't hear Danny Hurley yelling over everything. Get him mad. All right, back with more, including us finding, or not us, the World Herald, I guess, finding the guy who told the NHL to come to Omaha. He's also got some other ideas. That on the other side when we come back on 1620 The Zone.